Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system and I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, Math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 177. I got to hang out with my friend, Mr. Chaz. We met over on Instagram and it was so fun to get to hang out and have a real conversation. We dove into extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation and what this looks like to build intrinsic motivation with the tiny humans. I love how Mr. Chaz keeps it real about what the real world looks like and the fact that there is extrinsic motivators all around us. We see rewards all around us and how this plays out in our work with the tiny humans. Do me a favor when you're tuning in, will you take a screenshot and share it over on Instagram? Let me know your favorite takeaway from this episode. I want to hear from you. Tag seed.and.so and tag Mr. Chaz as well. I'm really pumped to hear what really struck you in this episode and what hits home. Before we dive into this conversation, Did you know that our village membership is open? Our village membership only opens a couple times a year and it opens till June 17th. Come join us in the village, a space where we dive into all of your biggest parenting questions. We guide you in doing this work. You get access to our two signature courses and we walk alongside you in how to implement them in your everyday life. You get access to our membership community app where people pop in questions every day and we answer every single one. You get weekly calls with our team, a monthly Zoom hangout, so many goodies within this village membership. It is the space where if you have questions about your tiny humans or your family life that you want to dive into, this is the space to do it before the doors close again. So come join us at seedandso.org slash membership. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey 
Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with Mr. Chaz, which I know is a fan favorite for a lot of you guys, and I'm jazzed about it, too. Hi, Mr. Chaz. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to start the conversation. It's been a long time coming. I know we tried to set this up uh, before, so I'm glad we are here and we're doing it. <laughs> we're making it happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it actually goes hand in hand with the conversation today because there was a lot of resilience that went into making this happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rad. So today I want to hang out and chat about extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. But before we do, can you share with folks just kind of like what brings you to this work? What fires you up here? Yeah. So I am an educational specialist. Well, that is kind of, that's my day job, at least. I work with nine different schools. In short, I teach teachers to teach. But anyone who's worked in early education knows that anyone who works in early education does 101 million other things too. Sometimes I'm running the school, sometimes I'm in the classroom, sometimes I'm doing observations, sometimes I'm helping with, you know, creating the onboarding process. So it, it you know, it's pretty all-encompassing, but it's beautiful because I get a really good perspective about, um, a lot of things that happen and I get to see things from everyone's perspective, which gives me a lot of insight and perspective, um, all from as high up as the, you know, I, I work on a corporate level too, as high up as a corporate level to, you know, district directors, to directors in the center directors, to lead teachers, to assistant teachers, to you know, children in the school. So it's, it's been beautiful to, really speak and get insight from everyone. But that's just a little bit about me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we wear a whole lot of hats in early ed. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot of hats. Um, sometimes too many hats. <laughs> I feel like I'm juggling hats over here. Totally. <laughs> totally. I think every early educator is like, yeah, can relate. Um, Rad. So when we reached out and we were like, hey, we want to chat about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. I'd come up with just like a few questions that I wanted to discuss. And then today I started thinking about it. My wheels just started turning and I have like now a million things circulating in my brain here. So let's start with some basics for folks on really like what is the difference and like how does it relate to things like a punishment reward system that we might see utilized throughout, especially early ed, but really in life, there's a lot of punishment reward systems. Yeah. So the simplest way, and I really try to make things super simple, the simplest way I put the difference between the extrinsic and the intrinsic motivation is the extrinsic motivation is their outside forces that are in, that influence us to do things, right? You mentioned rewards and punishment. It is the, you know, I can, if I give you a reward, will you do this? You know, can I get you to do this? If I, if I dangle something in front of your face, can I get you to move? When the same thing is the punishment is if I, you know, push you or scare you or coerce you enough, can I get you to move to do the thing? Um, that's extrinsic, something outside of the person. X, exit outside. Intrinsic, internally, is the internal motivation. It's, it's, it's that thing 
There are those things inside of you that don't need someone to reward or punish you to get you to do it. You move on your own because it's something that you're already inspired to do. And it comes in, that also comes just like extrinsic motivation, intrinsic motivation comes in a lot of different forms. But the best way to identify it is if you feel yourself like having to, you know, verbally or with your facial expressions, push, you know, a child or a person, because, you know, this is, this is not just children, it's, it's, it's adults, it's all people, to do something, you're likely using extrinsic motivators, as opposed to maybe planting a seed or putting an idea into their mind and allowing them to kind of run with it. And, you know, there's been so many questions that I'm sure you'll get to, we'll talk about them more, but like, you know, what are the implications for like, in a school setting, like, how can I, you know, my, you know, my class or my child, they're, you know, if, if I'm a teacher and I don't feel like they're, you know, intrinsically motivated to learn the things that I'm trying to teach them, you know, how, like, what do I do? How do I spark intrinsic motivation? When it comes to like, I have a lot of opinions and feelings about, uh, you know, the school system and kind of what we, you know, should do. But my first thought, and I just, I honestly just um, replied back to someone who commented on my post today is that sometimes we need to rethink and think about what we're asking children to do and how much control that you know, we feel like we need to have over it. That is typically when it comes to like the school setting and getting children to do things. I'm saying this in air quotes, you guys can't hear it, see it, can't see it. But, <laughs> you know, often we need to rethink what we're requesting them to do, right? If you're asking a bunch of children to, you know, you want them to be intrinsically motivated to sit down and be quiet while you talk at them and, you know, try to throw as much information into their mind, the first, instead of thinking about, okay, well, how can I get them intrinsically motivated about that? Now, first think about, hmm, how about maybe I can find something in the topic or there's a way they can explore the topic that will be intrinsically motivating you know, in terms of, you know, maybe they need a little bit more autonomy and they need to, let's say they're learning, and I'll do a couple examples right here. I know I'm going off a ring, just ask a small little question. I'm just going, let's say you're learning about, you, you, you know, you want to teach them about the water cycle. And so there's many ways that you can do that. You can draw the water cycle and say, this is, you know, precipitation, condensation, and talk about all the different parts of the water cycle and and get them to repeat it and you know try to just force them to sit down long enough to you can repeat it long enough for it to stick in their mind or you can you know briefly introduce the topic briefly because we know attention spans briefly introduce the topic and then you know point out the condensation on the water, I'm showing a water bottle right now, uh, on the water bottle. You can, what I used to do, when I used to teach three, four and five year olds about the water cycle, because I was something that was in our curriculum, I would take water, when I was talking about evaporation, 
It's not like just, yeah, sure, I showed them the diagram so they could see me and they could have a visual, but I wasn't, it wasn't like, here, look, what I did was I'm gonna let's I'm gonna throw this cup of water out on the ground. And you see how like it's wet. Okay, we're gonna close the door and let's check back in 15 minutes. Let's see what happens. And they're like, whoa, what? Where'd it go? It was wet before. Where'd it go? Now they're asking me questions. Now they're curious. Now they want to explore. They're intrinsically motivated to discover what happened to that water, right? And most of the things that we're, we teach children, if you know, and if not most, I'd say all, all not most, there's evidence. It, it, it can all be relevant to children. But a lot of times we don't even take the time to really think about how we can make something relevant to children or spark the curiosity because we rely so heavily on extrinsic and intrinsic motivations. Throw the cup of water, have them throw the cup of water and, and you know, watch your observer to come back to or whatever it is. Instead, we'll say, you know, this is the water sign. You need to sit down here for 20 minutes while I talk about it. And whoever can do it gets this sticker, right? Or if you don't do it, then you're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, right? And those are the extrinsic motivators that are not as effective long-term. Yeah, that sticker, totally. that punishment, that, you know, you know, taking something away might, you know, get them to sit there and listen to it. And they might get that information, but it doesn't create a love of learning and discovery of school. Totally. You you hit on you hit on two things that I think are really, really key here. Two words that I want to pull out from that were curiosity and our goal. So when I'm looking at this, I was just having a conversation with my husband about this tiny human of ours. And I was like, really, for me, my goal for this human is to just be curious about life, like about all things. And I think so often our goal as adults is, and, and we might not have identified this necessarily, but I think we all, we always have these goals. And sometimes it's like, my goal is for my kid to do well in school and graduate and then go on to college or whatever. And I'm afraid that if they don't do well in school with certain grades or whatever, they won't go to college and what, whatever we have like these these things already made up in our minds of like our trajectory for these humans. And I was just saying to Zach, I was like, my main goal for this human is to just be curious. And I think a huge part of curiosity is knowing that you're going to make 8,000 mistakes all the time, right? That like, you're going to make mistakes and we're going to, instead of, oh, I'm going into this. And, and I think we do this a lot in early childhood. And I think it's so beneficial with reflective practice where we're going in and saying like, yeah, I want to try and explore this thing with kids. And then later we're going to step back and say, man, where did the wheels come off the bus? You know, I've never gone into a day with kids and been like, I'm going to be so perfect today and they're going to be perfect and everything's going to go great. Like we know, we go into it knowing like, there are going to be things that don't work out great. And then we get to reflect back and figure out like what we would tweak or how I might teach something differently the next day, or really looking at like, man, they were really interested in superheroes. And now there's been this shift, like how else can I teach this same content based off of what they're interested in? But this curiosity of what, uh, or I guess this goal of curiosity versus a goal of like a product, 
like an end, like a whether it's a test score or for them to complete a task that we're hoping them to complete or to memorize their letters or know how to write their name, whatever it is, I feel like so often we as an adult have a specific goal that if we can step back and say, what is our goal? What is the overarching goal for us? The, that goal of curiosity for us as adults is so key here because when we are focused on, we have an end product that we want them to do, whether it's writing their name, knowing their letters, knowing their numbers, scoring a certain test score, et cetera. When we have an end goal that's product-based and we're focused on that, then it's really hard for us not to tap into extrinsic motivators to get to that goal, right? But I think when we can focus on like, what if our goal was for these kids to be curious about this stuff? And it doesn't really matter if they spell that word right right now or if they correctly name the life cycle of a butterfly, right now. But instead, if they were curious about like, yeah, how does that happen? What happens when they're inside a chrysalis? Like if we could shift our goal as the adults to curiosity, which is a word you kept pulling up with intrinsic motivation. And I think it's such a key component. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's gonna do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE.
That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. You know, we trade our long-term goals for short-term goals. Totally. Right? And so, you know, we're feel very comfortable, maybe not outwardly with me putting it this way, but in practice, we feel very comfortable trading uh, the child knowing their ABCs and one, two, threes with a lifelong love of learning, right? Through practice, we're very comfortable trading, you know, the, you know, kindergarten learning to read before they go to first grade with, you know, growing a love of learn of of reading for life, right? Becoming a lifelong reader. And one, we need to be patient with a lot of this stuff. I mean, we want it right now. And how hypocritical is it of us to always tell children to be patient and to wait and to wait? But then we're very impatient about their goals, you know. You know, we're very, we're very impatient about our goals for them. And we're also, but we're not patient about their goals for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Or the, or the, or or even our long-term goals for them. Uh, Because I think everyone, like if we sat down and had a conversation with, you know, darn near every parent, they would say, you know, what are your lifelong goals or what are your goals for your child? And they would talk about the more lifelong goals. I ask parents all the time, tell you about the kind of parent you want to be, the kind of impact that you want to have on your child. Always talking about 100% of the time, it's always long-term goals. It's never like, I really need them to learn their ABCs and one, two, three (laughs) right now. You know, it's more about, I want, you know, them to be passionate. I want, it's more about our, our relationship. I want them to feel comfortable to, to come to me with their challenges so I can help them and guide them. You know, I want them to, you know, be lifelong learners. Those are the kind of things that we talk about and that we want for children. But then in practice, it becomes, we do things. And part of it is, uh, you know, lack of, lack of understanding. We think that like earlier is better that if I can get my you know, four-year-old to know sight words, then they'll be reading at five and then they'll have, then they will be confident in the reading and they will be lifelong readers. You know, if I can get them to, you know, sit down in this spot for X amount of time, I can teach them the thing they need to know. And then they will, you know, they will take that lesson and that experience of learning and want to do it you know, for the rest of their lives. And that's simply not true. It's so much more about the process of learning rather than the out, the, the, the regurgitated outcome that we're looking for, the measurable, you know, they know 26 words and letters. They know they can read this amount of words. And, you know, that's not what it's about. Not um, at all. It's, it's about the process. And we even talk about this, like, I think people are a lot more, and your audience will probably be a lot more familiar with the process versus product conversation. Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of early educators and, you know, at least in my sphere, at least in my, the company that I work for, the whole process versus product conversation has been, you know, like we talk about it so much, but sometimes I don't think people realize 
how that conversation of process versus product art really expands into every other part of learning as well. Totally. And I think that that's something that like, I, you know, I was just thinking the other day, someone was asking me about like, how do I get my kid to share and to like want to share? And I think that the hard part is that, yeah, that's a long-term goal, right? That like so much of this, when we're bringing into like social emotional development, we are first building like kids awareness and kids own regulation skills and all that just before we're working on social skills before we're working on fostering true empathy where they're saying like I want to be a collaborative member in this community in whatever aspect that is in my in block area or wherever or I want to share this thing of mine and work together with other humans so much of that is foundational skills that come first within the kid and it is a long-term goal. (laughs) And I think a lot of the time our like fear pops up of like, well, if they're not sharing now, or if they're not doing this thing now, they're not being kind now, who will they be in three years, in six years, in 10 years? What will this look like in high school or down the road? And we can jump ahead to that like long-term space, imagining that they have the same skill set today. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And it's funny, it's almost like sometimes can be a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We will be, or have that thought of just, oh no, like they're hitting right now and have that thought like they're going to, you know, go, they're going to be a felon and they're going to, you know, be in prison if I don't stop this right now. If I don't fix it today or this week or this month, they're going to be a domestic abuser because they have the, the person who they hit happened maybe to be, I don't know, whatever it is, our minds go into so many different, we put our own, we put our own filter on a child's actions and then we tell ourselves these stories about what's happening that and then that causes us to do things that may make it more likely to create or reinforce that fear so example so child's hitting now today and so now what we're going to do is because we need our child to stop hitting today we're going to impose our power and our will with, with, with punishments and, 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 you know, say like, if you hit, then, you know, I'm going to hit you. Or if you hit, then, you know, I'm going to use my power to isolate you away from the group and, you know, make you feel bad about and shame you and judge you publicly or maybe even privately to get you to stop doing that thing. And then the child learns, oh, when someone is doing something that you don't like, the way that you, you know, change or control the situation is by, you know, exerting your power over the other person. That's how you get things done. And so then, even though our goal was, we really with good intentions wanted the child to stop hitting, you know, for all the best reasons, you know, our actions, because we've been so worried, one needed to stop it today. 
and maybe even pushed our child more towards that fear. Now the child has learned, now the child is imposing their will or their power over their peers and they're doing more things and we've shamed them. So now they've internalized that shame, those insecurities, and now they're projecting it on other people. And that comes out as bullying or cyberbullying. And now that fear that we had that likely was completely just true, untrue and just the story that we were telling ourselves, we've, we've made it more of a potential because of the way that we responded. A thousand percent. Yeah, we end up reinforcing that. And it's it's just another end of the spectrum. And yeah, oh yeah, I love that example too. I think that's so tangible. So for folks who are listening who are like, oh, yikes, I definitely have been falling into the extrinsic motivation category. I think so many of us have and do. And and I, I think it's important too to acknowledge that there are a lot of extrinsic motivators in our everyday life, right? Like if you speed, Listen, you you can get a ticket. Culture. Our culture is fully, this is it's exactly what it is, right? Like if you get this grade, like whatever, like you could get into this school. Like there are so many different extrinsic motivators that we live around. And so I guess if folks are like, how do I find that balance here? What do, how can I support the intrinsic motivation while acknowledging that the extrinsic motivators still exist all around us? Where do we start? Yeah. So the the first thing I want to say is that, you know, I am not taking the position that all extrinsic motivators should be wiped off of the face of the earth. I do think that it is, I think that there can be a time and a place where it's reasonable within moderation. Totally. And that there is place in, in a society of, of, of people. Um, and so like, that's the first thing that I, I, I wanna say, kind of the caveat, before I say everything else. Yeah, um, no, I, I'm i here for that. Now, all of, all of that being said, when it comes to, you know, teaching and when it comes to teaching and parenting and wanting to help another individual grow in leadership too, uh, wanting to help another individual learn and grow and progress Intrinsic motivation is the way to go. Okay. So here are my like, here are tips that I would say to kind of move more towards intrinsic motivation if you're trying to help a person learn and grow. Because you also mentioned, right, so speeding, you get a, you know, you get a ticket, you know, you, if you assault someone in real life, you go to jail, like these are real things that are extrinsic motivators built into our society. Now I will say that Although that that extrinsic motivator is built on into our society, it does not mean that it helps people learn, grow, progress, and not make this and not do this behavior again. Okay, A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, in our there's been so much research in it, and even the you know criminal justice arena of just rehabilitation as opposed to just higher, more and more punishments in, 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 in mandatory minimums, right? Totally. You know, increasing your punishment doesn't decrease the likelihood that the person is going to um, re-offend, 
right? And you know, we're talking about the prison system because that's where because that's when people like usually where the conversation goes. People say, "Well, that's the real world. I'm preparing them for the real world." Um, but let me tell you about the, some real world. Let me tell you about the real world, right? <laughs> uh, it, it it doesn't reduce recidivism. Recidivism is a rate at which people re-offend. Re, re what actually reduces recidivism is rehabilitation. The process of identifying, you know, what that those needs are, you know, and giving the tools to the person so that they can be successful in the situation that they find themselves in, in the situations that are challenging to them, whether, you know, it is, you know, getting the job or even the social emotional skills and the therapy or whatever it is, those are gonna be the things, those are the tools that we need to give, you know, employees, teachers, you know, uh, uh, you know parents to, to children, everyone, so that they can be more successful in navigating those challenging situations. Totally. Um, not just throwing punishments or even rewards in their face. Um, yeah. I was raised now, in a household where I would get grounded and never once in the history of me getting grounded did that stop my behavior. It just paused it for a minute. And then once I was no longer grounded, I did the same thing. I just tried to do it in a sneakier way. Because right. I didn't get any of the <laughs> right. tools, right. you know? It wasn't like they were like, oh, right. what's going on? Let's help you with what tools you are clearly communicating you need. No, they were just like, you're grounded. And I was like, great, pause. And in this pause, we'll rethink my strategy to doing the same thing in a studio. Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, all right, now going back, um, now you know, all that being said, now how do we move towards the intrinsic motivation? So I'm glad I kind of talked about the tools, but also really thinking about like, what does motivate your, you know, that child, those group of children? One, you want to give, try to give autonomy in situations and learning experiences, the more autonomy, you know, a, a person has over their learning, their project, the more invested that they are going to be in it. Uh, where you're not having to constantly push it. Think about like, you know, things that you have autonomy over in your life and think about how much more invested you are in those ideas and seeing those things through, you know, is, is one quick one. The other thing that you want to think about is you also want to think about, you can, you can, do this by observing. You want to look at their interests. What is the mode of their learning style, right? Do they really like the, you know, hands-on and exploring? Is it really, is it through, you know, playing and, you know, do they just need the materials to manipulate? Is it, you know, are there certain things in real life that are meaningful to them that you can connect to the learning? And then also too, especially as children, as people, as people get older, you want to tap, and this is kind of with the last one, but you want to tap into their, like, you know, their, their own purpose. You know, what is, what is meaningful to them? Why, why should they want to do it? And we have a tendency as adults, as leaders, as 
parents as people to give reasons that are only meaningful for us. And then we try to put those reasons on other people and we expect them to adopt it, internalize it and run with it. And then we get shocked when they don't do that because you're only thinking about things, you're only thinking about it from your perspective. There's something that's meaningful to you. No, think about what's meaningful to them and talk about it in that way. Talk with them, not at them. And so those are some of the tips that I would give to help you move more towards intrinsic motivation. But one last thing I'll say on this, it's not as easy as the extrinsic motivators. Totally. Right? Uh, at, least, at, least, at least short term, right? You don't really have to think as much about extrinsic motivators, right? It's pretty blanket, right? I'm gonna ground you for anything that I disapprove of. I'm gonna give you a sticker, a gold star, a doggy biscuit for anything I do approve of. You don't really have to think about it as much as, you know, huh, what are you truly interested? How can I make this meaningful for you? How would you like to, you know, engage in it? And it takes a little bit more, you know, even trust in, the in, in, in the child and what's happening in, in the process go back to that process trust in the process and you don't have to learn the you know the abc's one two threes today mm -hmm. right yeah give it um, make it meaningful to them hormone harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I think you're absolutely right. Like it is harder. It's harder because it requires us to self-regulate and get curious. It requires us to say, huh, rather than like, well, this isn't working or assigning meaning about who that kid is based off of their behavior, being able to pause and say, man, what is, where are the wheels coming off this bus? What are they letting me know? they need more support with. It requires our regulation and curiosity. And it's easier to just be like, no, I need you to do this thing. And I'm going to slap a punishment or a reward on it. And it takes a lot more of our own skill sets there to regulate and get curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it does. And the way that I think about like all of this, you know, the parenting and teaching and just progressing and moving is that, you know, I think that we should shame the previous generation for what, you know, how they, you know, did things. It's the focus is more on what can we do to improve, right? Totally. We have, we may not have all those self-regulation skills and, you know, that way of thinking because it's just not the way that we're raised. It's not the culture we were nurtured in. And so it's going to be a lot of hard work for us to almost really rewire our brain into how we're thinking about things and how we're going about things. And the hard work that we're doing today, you know, it, you know, it may not create the it will not create the perfectly intrinsically motivated human being that we all wish we all were. But I do think that we will make upgrades and improvements. It's like the first, you know, like the first iPhone, right? What we're doing now and the cycles we're breaking now and, you know, choosing, you know, you know, if you're stopping to choose the, you know, fear control-based teaching, parenting, leading, then, you know, that is a huge breakthrough in itself. That is a lot of, it is the jump between the flip phone and the iPhone, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's not to say that there aren't more, you know, generations and upgrades to come, right? Because we look at the iPhone now, the first iPhone, and we're like, oh, that's a piece of like, <laughs> and we wouldn't, no one would would use it. It would, it's not very, you know, right. but our children are going to be able to grow off of that and upgrade and, you know, the next generation, you know, and it's going to be the iPhone two to the five to the 10. And hopefully we make more progress than, you know, which each generation of phone <laughs> phones do, um, <laughs> right. but we are making progress. So it's not about, I always talk about, it's not about being perfect every day. It's about improving every day. Don't be a perfectionist, be an improvementist. 
Yeah, well, and that's how we sparked that curious thinking. My friend, Dr. Lynetta Willis, she does a lot of work on healing intergenerational trauma. And she describes it as a relay race where she's like, we're passing the baton. And like, we were past the baton and it had some crap with it that we're going to try and heal. And then we're going to have our own crap that we pass along. And kids are going to then... I, what what I want is that my tiny human is looking and saying like, man, hey, ma, there's some stuff I'm going to do a little differently. Like if they get to adulthood and nothing has changed, we're not progressing enough, you know, like in the same way yeah. that, yeah. gosh, I just saw a picture the other day of baby me in a car seat. And I was like, how did I survive? Like that is like a bucket with like a strap on it, basically. Uh, and of course, now today, the car seat that my tiny humans in is an entirely different car seat. And I hope that we continue yeah. to see this progress generationally, where we're saying like, man, we learned something, and we're going to do it differently. And I think that there, when we start that reparenting work of taking a good look at like, what are we bringing from our childhood? It can come with some like guilt or shame or discomfort of even acknowledging that our parents weren't perfect. And I think it's a rad place to start because they weren't perfect and we don't have to be, we won't be, and our kids won't be. Yeah, no, it's, it, I, I always talk about like perfection it's like that's it's an illness. We should never be trying to strive for perfection. It doesn't exist. It's it is it all it will do is stress us out to try and be something, move towards something that is that we can never achieve. But Probably. we can always achieve improving a little a little, a little bit more. Um, and again, it will bring this back full circle. You know, it's about the process, right? It's the, it's not about the end goal. Us, It's not about eliminating all, you know, extrinsic motivators perfectly in every situation now being perfect and everything, you know, there being no conflict, like even in that conflict is, the point sometimes, right? Sometimes we need that conflict, like we need to go through the process, you know, the, you know, the climb, you know, the totally. uphill battle that is just as important as, you know, wherever we do see ourselves in, you know, five years, whatever that destination does look, look like in five years. And by the way, there is no, like I said, like there's no, you know, perfect, there really is no destination in this whole teaching, leadership, parenting processes yeah. that we all are all, you know, we're, we're going through. Totally. So. Yeah. I love that. It's again, reframing that goal to like, rather than that end product, rather than that end goal, like I really want my goal is curiosity for everybody, for like it within my partnership, for me to be curious about why my husband might be responding in that way that for me feels bonkers. I got to get curious about it, you know, or why the kid is doing this thing or why maybe my employees are showing up in certain ways. Like getting curious is my goal here. And I think that it has really helped then like, rather than seeing it as, uh, like a right or wrong, it provides a lot of gray space where we get to hang out and 
hypothesize. <laughs> Mr. Chess, this yeah, is so fun for me. Yeah, and I since you're talking to bring up curiosity, is let's let me let's let's let me drive into that a little bit more too, and how curiosity can really be so beneficial for us. Um, that frustration, the curiosity can replace that frustration that you feel when you want to, you know, when you want to yell at your partner or your child and, you know, punish them or scold them or shame them, you know, we can replace that, that frustration, that anger that we, where we want to kind of attack with curiosity. And if we can do that, then a lot of that, you know, frustration really starts to go away, especially if we really see what's happening. If, you know, I think about, so I am like a bit of a poet and I've kind of lately been writing a lot of like spoken word that like at some point I'm going to put out, I haven't really put out a letter of really any spoken word, but um, there's going to be a time where I'm going to be putting out a lot. And I was writing and I was talking about that, I don't remember the exact words, but the metaphor that I was using that like, if a lot of times when the behavior that the child is communicating when they're in distress, they're yelling, or maybe even a, a partner and their action that be, but that behavior is really communicating a distress call, right? It's really a help, a cry for help and you know, even though it may outwardly look at, look like the child's saying no and screaming at you, it's really a cry for, it's really them drowning and saying, help, help, I need help. I can't handle this situation. I don't know how to, like, I'm, I'm hooked onto this screen and I'm so like into it and I don't know how to pull myself away right now. And it's really hard for me, help, help. You know, those aren't the words that are coming out and it's not the behavior. Then, you know, the behavior may be like, no, I want to play more. I want more screen time. I want to do X, Y, and Z is made what it, what it looked like. And then we may interpret it as, you know, disrespect to us and disrespect to our authority. And so then, so we respond with, you know, aggression like, no, you're going to get off right now. And if you do love with the finger hanging and the shaming, and then we're butting heads. And really, and you know, the metaphor of just the child screaming for help, where instead of helping, reaching out and helping and pulling them up, helping them, throwing them an inflatable, we're really dropping an anchor down on them, right? Mm -hmm. And causing them to drown even further. And if we were really, you know, if we could replace in that moment where they're screaming for help, or maybe they're, you know, behavior saying, no, no, it's like, I don't want to do it. I don't like you, mommy, or whatever it is. And we, instead of getting frustrated and attacking, we replace it with curiosity. Then with our curiosity glasses, we could see, actually see the child drowning. And it's hard to be mad at a child and, and attack and be really frustrated at a child or a person when we see them drowning. Because when we actually see them drowning, no matter what that person did, to you, you can help them up, right? And then, and you know, help them up, get them to safety, and then have the conversation about whatever the conversation needs to be had, and give them the tools. Like, okay, next time, you know, you go on the deep end, 
I see what the problem is because I have my curiosity lenses on and we talked, we had a conversation. Now I know I can give you these floaties next time you're in these deep waters and that should, you know, that, you know, can help you swim, you know, that's the rehabilitation part, right? And so that's, I just wanted to. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. It's such a great visual. Oh, it's such a good visual. Mr. Chaz, if people want to continue to connect with you and follow you, where can they find you? You can find me on TikTok, Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz, M-R-C-H-A-Z-Z, M-R-C-H-A-Z-Z. You can also find me on Instagram as Mr. Chaz. You can find me on Facebook as Mr. Chaz. Find me on LinkedIn as Mr. Chaz. (laughs) You can also find my podcast called Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcasts. You can probably, if you want one-on-one coaching with me and you also want access to my weekly sessions where we do Q&As, you can ask your own questions. You can do that through my Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Mr. Chaz. I bring on different experts, you know, every week and we have conversations about, you know, different things. Be able to ask whatever question you want, whether it's on topic or not and we will answer. I think those are the places you can find me right now. I have some exciting things that I'm planning to do, like media, like there's some, like a book that I'm in the process of writing. You know, I actually, after this phone call, I don't know, this doesn't have to be recorded or not, but I'm sharing it with you. Yeah. After this phone call, because I'm super excited, I have a meeting with a TV producer who's done some, you know, pretty notable things. And we're going to be talking about, you know, potential TV show. And I have some ideas for it and really kind of bringing my content to life and showing some real experiences and perspectives and just really making it all make sense. And I'm like, I have like some, I, what I feel like in my head is going to be groundbreaking and something that I have never seen on TV before. So I'm super excited for that. I hope, you know, it, it maybe might pop, hopefully it'll pop up on Netflix or something like that. That's awesome. Um, that is so awesome. Cheers to you, man. That's rad. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. This is so fun to just get nerdy about and have real life convos about. And I am grateful for you sharing your time with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad that we were able to reschedule and do this because uh, you're definitely a joy to talk to. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad that you could, you know, we could do the podcast. I see that you're in your jammies, you're on bed rest. You're really <laughs> so, uh, just settling right in there, <laughs> living living in the jams these days. <laughs> <laughs> Let us go Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? 
My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.